Hello, and welcome to the weekly worship podcast for Fuquay Arena, United Methodist Church. We think it's important, not just that you listen today, but we would invite you to worship with us today. If you'd like to further engage your faith or the community around you and like to partner with us, uh, please visit our website, fvumc.org, for more information. Also, we'd love to hang out with you on a Sunday morning, whether that's live, online, or in person. Online on Sunday mornings on our website or Facebook page or YouTube channel, you can enjoy the venue with us, which is a worship service crafted for community online, or you can join our live in-person services online at 1010 for our contemporary, 1115 for our traditional. If you'd like to worship in person with us, we have worship at 9 o'clock and 1010 for our contemporary worship services and 1115 for our traditional worship. At the end of the day, we believe that when and where you worship is not nearly as important as that you worship. And so we're so glad to be with you today, worshiping together. Well, hey, everybody, it's great to be together with you. Today, we are concluding our series, uh, A Place at the Table. We've been uh, having an extended conversation over the last few weeks. If you've not been a part of that conversation up to this point, fear not. Uh, we will not leave you aloof and removed today, but uh, we would love to invite you. Uh, to. I'll, I would love to invite you. I guess there's a we there uh, to go back and check out um, some of the either the sermon content if you just want to play catch up or if you want to go worship with us later this week uh, from some previous weeks. Um, the backstory I think is worth hearing. Uh, we talked about a conflict uh, controversy that arose 2,000 years ago um, in a town called Antioch in a little region in uh, to the north of it in Turkey uh, called Galatia and. Uh, we don't you know, have a ton of time to go into all that uh, today, um, but uh, in short, in in these towns, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, because of the work of Jesus, what Jesus made possible uh, through his death and resurrection and ascension was for new community to form in a way that it really hadn't before, um, both in Galatia and in Antioch. Uh, in effect, there were these people that would in no way have found themselves ever sitting together at the same dinner table. Uh, they found themselves eating together, worshiping together, working together, serving together, doing life together. Uh, folks that, you know, up till that point would have, you know, just not crossed boundaries of like social strata or class or religion or all sorts of things. Um, and it was a, it was a beautiful thing. I mean, I think the early followers of Jesus saw this as almost like a miracle um, that this new kind of community was possible. The, the type of community that they believed, you know, God had been talking about and promising all the way since uh, back in the day, since God, 2,000 years before then, when God made a promise to Abraham and Sarah that through their family, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And all of this, they believed, was able to happen because of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Uh, we've been talking for the last three weeks about what that grace is and does, how it uh, awakens us so that we desire a relationship with God, how it pardons us, uh, but breaks the power of uh, of sin, which creates brokenness in the world and in our lives. And it's a, it's a grace, it's an unearned love of God for us that perfects us, right? That uh, we continue to grow and that we mature in our, uh, in our faith. We become different people. Our hearts are changed. We are transformed. All of this it's not our work so that no one can boast, but it's the work of God in us through the grace of Jesus Christ. So their pastor, Paul, um, believed that they were all able to sit at the same table, bound together by something far greater than the strength of their differences. And the thing that bound them together was the unearned love of God 
for us, or what we call what we call grace. They were all able to sit together at a very real table, not because of what they had done um, or who they were, but because of who Jesus was and what Jesus had done. He believed that we were all sitting at the table because of grace. Full stop. But some folks believed that we needed to separate into two tables, uh, that there were some followers who were more holy, more perfect, more pure than some of the other followers of Jesus, and, and that they shouldn't sit at the same table because some people needed to sit at one table and some people need to sit at the other. And Paul says to the religious authorities of the day, hey, if you want to separate people into two tables, you are nullifying the grace of God. You're saying that all these things that Jesus has done for us, uh, you know, they don't count. We don't need them. You're saying that something else gives us access to the table other than the grace of God. I would like to pull all of these threads together today. Um, by sharing a story that Jesus told, a parable uh, that Jesus used to teach his disciples, his followers, about what it looks like for us to trust in the generosity, or what I might say is the graciousness, the abounding grace, the abounding graciousness, goodness of God um, at work in our lives. Before I do, um, uh, just a story from, you know, from my everyday life, if it's, if it's helpful to you. Uh, <laughs> um, this, this was back... Um, in the middle of the pandemic, we were getting in the van to drive up to Raleigh to see some of our family. And um, two of my kids kind of got in a little bit of a tete-a-tete, if you will, in the backseat of the car. One of them came prepared, brought a, a bottle of water to drink on the way. Um, the other one did not, <clears throat> but wanted a sip. And because uh, we, as parents, my wife and I believe uh, that in our family, we share things with each other. We insisted that the prepared child share water with the unprepared child. After much uh, protest, uh, the water was shared. As soon as the water bottle came back uh, to the prepared child, um, that child, I'm trying to protect their identities, uh, took the bottle of water and just poured it all out <laughs> on the floor. Um, we didn't even make it to the sheets in Fuquay before we had pulled the car over to have a teachable moment. Um. I was just dumbfounded. Like, how could a child of mine, you know, be so selfish that they would rather not have any water than allow their sibling to have a little bit of the water that they brought in the car? But as it turns out, my children are not, not as crazy uh, as I thought they might be. I stumbled upon shortly thereafter a study, and I think there are many studies that kind of say the same thing, but um, uh, they did a study where... Uh, uh, two participants would participate in this project together and they would get 10 free dollars. The catch was that one of them was going to get $8 and the other person was going to get two. Um, but the, the person that was going to get the two free dollars, uh, they got to decide whether or not to take it. If they took it, then the other person got eight. If they refused it, then neither of them got anything. 85% of participants in America, 85% refused free money because it was unfair that the other person was going to get more. 85%. Now, I know $2 doesn't go as far today as it used to, but yeah, get yourself a Pepsi or something. I, 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 maybe whatever the condition is that leads us to that place, maybe that's something that we've always struggled with. Maybe that is the thing that was at root of this insistence that some people needed to sit at a different table. Maybe that's the same thing that Jesus was addressing when he told this, uh, this parable. Uh, it's uh, Matthew chapter 20, if you want to grab your Bible and follow along. Um, I'm going to kind of talk about it as we read through it, uh, read through it together. 
Here's how it begins. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into the vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, so a few hours later, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again, about noon and about three o'clock, he did the exact same thing. Now, at this point in time, we've just got an ordinary story, right? This is just a scene from everyday life. The people that are listening to Jesus tell it would have been totally familiar. We have a landowner, uh, a household leader, right? One who owns this vineyard. It's harvest time, obviously. And during harvest time, like for harvesting grapes, there's just like a really like one or two, three, maybe three days in which you have to pick all the grapes that you're going to pick. And so... Um, Folks would gather in the marketplace, laborers would, uh, uh, owners of vineyards would come in, hire folks up, and maybe this vineyard one day, another vineyard another. Uh, and so these folks would find work that way. And the Mishnah required that faithful landowners would hire people at whatever the customary rate was. So here we read the usual daily wage. So this is a, a good landowner doing the right thing by these folks, a just person hiring people in a just uh, sort of way. Um, But it continues uh, in verse uh, six, about five o'clock, he, the landowner, went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard. So clearly some some needs still existed for these folks to be hired. Um, Now, I I will just, I I pause there to offer this uh, caveat. I, when I read the word idle, I hear the word lazy. That's, that's the baggage I bring to this. Um. The word idle really just means not working. I think I think there's an inside joke uh, based on whatever I can find to read about this parable. Like it seems like folks, basically, the guy goes out and he says, "Why are you not working?" And they say, "Because no one's offered us work." Like it's almost like duh, right? It's a <laughs> inside joke for folks who would have been in this condition. So, um, so there you go. So they're not necessarily lazy. They just haven't been hired yet, and he hires them to go uh, into the vineyard. Okay, verse eight. <clears throat> When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired at five o'clock came, the last hired, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now here's where we've moved from just an everyday ordinary story to maybe a point or a moral, right? Two things change here that in Jesus' telling of this parable that I think are worth pointing out. The first is that Jesus no longer refers to the landowner as a landowner. Now Jesus has chosen a different phrase, the Lord of the vineyard, uh, the owner or the master, sometimes it's translated, the Lord of the vineyard. That is a title given to God in the Old Testament, the Lord of the vineyard. Uh, so clearly Jesus here is saying something in particular about this landowner. I don't believe that he's saying that this landowner is God. I do believe that he's saying that this landowner is reflecting the nature and character of God. And we see evidence of that in that the generosity of the landowner towards those who only worked for one hour uh, is, is a beautiful thing, right? Yes, it was the just and the right thing to do, no matter how long someone worked in your vineyard, to pay someone the usual daily wage. That's what the missioner required. However, what we see is that this landowner, unlike maybe other landowners who would have paid the first people first and then as money ran out, maybe not got around to paying the last hired people the full amount that they were owed. They would have taken advantage of those folks. So we see here that this landowner is just 
and that this landowner is generous, reflecting the nature and character of God. We could have ended the parable there, right? But I don't think that ultimately that's the point that Jesus was driving at. It just sets up the point because there's a really big shift uh, here in uh, here in the next uh, verse, which is verse 10. Uh, it says, Now, when the first hired came, they thought they would receive more. They thought, they assumed they would receive more. And this, that's the crux, right? They assumed that they would receive more. Uh, that they would receive more. But also, they all received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, these last hired people worked only one hour, and you have tried to make them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and of the scorching heat. Right, So the hot winds from the south would blow for about 50 days. It's what brought the grapes to their rightness. It was brutal working conditions. Um, and they, they think that it's unfair. They think it's unfair. But the landowner, the lord of the vineyard, replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Friend is a curious word there. It's the same word Jesus chooses to use when he says to Judas, Friend, go and do what you have to do. I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last, the same as I give to you. But then he asks a question. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or, and this is the question that gets me, are you envious because I am generous? Now, I will fully, fully admit uh, that when I read this parable, um, the place that I automatically assume, like assume my place to be is among the grumbling uh, folks that have been working all day. Uh, I don't know if that's where I'm supposed to find myself or not. I'm just confessing to you that that's where I do. I'm a firstborn child with all the you know, responsibilities that sometimes get thrust on firstborn children, um, raised with a, a Protestant work ethic in a society that unintentionally or intentionally teaches me that my value is worth what I can produce, that I am worth what I am worth. This parable feels unfair to me. It feels unfair. I don't know if Jesus is setting me up in the same way that Jesus was setting up the people who were listening to it in real time. Uh, again, I'm just, I want to I name that. I want to name that. Here's, here's what shifts this story for me. Here's where the meat of this, where the challenge of this parable that Jesus is telling really comes to the fore for me. Up until the fact that the workers assume they should get more, this story is about a just and generous landowner. The landowner is the first move. The landowner goes out and invites in. The landowner, uh, you know, agrees to pay, pays. It's all about the landowner. All of a sudden, these workers, they want to change the story, not to be about the justice and the generosity of the landowner. They want to change the story to be more about them, their work, how long they've worked, how hard they've worked, how efficient or effective they were in their work. They want to make it about them. Jesus, on the other hand, shifts the story there at the end by trying to recenter the the narrative of the story back onto the generosity of the lord of the vineyard or are you envious of my generosity in the end in the end the laborers the workers in the vineyard uh, are not the center of the story it's the just and generous landowner the Lord of the vineyard. We sit at the table, Paul is insisting earlier, we sit at the table of God in the same way because of the work of the Lord 
of the table. We sit at the table because we have been invited by the Lord of the table who went out and invited us in. We sit there not because of what we have done, the work that we've done, no matter how good it is, no matter how long we've worked, no matter how hard the conditions of our work were, not because of what we've done, but because of the generosity of the Lord of the table. And this is is good news for us. It's good news for us. We, even when we are disobedient, we, even when we have malformed theology, we, even when we have weak knees and faint hearts, we idle standers by, we still have been invited to the table, not because of the work that we've done, but because of the generosity of the Lord of the table. We are not at the table by virtue of how faithfully we have lived. Good works are desired. We talked about this last week. Um, We were created by God in Christ Jesus for good works. That's shalom. That's toviness. That's the way the world's supposed to be. That's what God wants for us is to live a renewed, reformed life that, that is a part of the way that it should be in the world around us. That is absolutely God's desire. That's life that's real life. That's what God wants from us. But we're not at the table because of how effectively or efficiently we are living that life. We are at the table not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. When we make it about our work, when we want to separate out into two tables, when we make it about our work, when we try to recenter, we try to say that we are the Lord of the table, and we know what is right, we know what is fair, we know who deserves what and who doesn't. When we take our place at the table uh, in that way, I think we, we risk finding our status, finding our identity rooted in something other than the grace of God. This feels bolder than maybe it is, uh, or maybe it feels overall. But, but to me, when we choose to suggest that some people need not be at the table with us because of something that we have done, because we've got something figured out, because we've lived a better life, because we've lived a longer life of faith, because we understand more things, we have a better theology, we have wh- whatever it is. When we suggest that we need to sit at a different table than other people, um, it's, it's not all that different than taking a cup of living water that's been offered to us through the grace of Jesus Christ and saying, well, if I have to share it with them, you know, I don't, I don't want it. I don't want it. So while this passage is a word of invitation, um, it's also a word of challenge. As we've said since the beginning of the series, um, Paul makes two points uh, that we've been trying ourselves to make. One, uh, there's a place at the table for you, regardless of who you are, or what you've done. There's a place at the table for you because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. That place at the table, that invitation comes through the goodness of God, the unearned love of God for us, the justice and generosity of the Lord of the table. And how we choose to use our tables matters. How we choose to use our tables matters. It reflects who we believe God to be and how we desire to reflect the goodness, the generosity of God. Uh, towards others. Um, This is a confounding parable. It is a confronting parable. It is a frustrating parable. Um, And uh, and I I just would like to leave us, uh, maybe in the good news, the invitation for you, but maybe in the challenge of it. Uh, Because I think at the end of the day, um, this is, it is the work of wrestling with Jesus's words that lead us, hopefully, to a greater and deeper understanding 
of what it means to be a people who sit at the table um, because of the grace of God. So whether for you today it's a word of invitation or a word of challenge, uh, I don't know. Uh, But I leave these words with you as we wrestle with them uh, together. Uh, Thank you for journeying with us through this season, this series, this conversation. Uh, I pray that that it has been uh, as meaningful for you as it has been for me. Uh, Grace and peace. Again, it's been great to worship together with you today. If you would like to engage your faith or the community around you, we'd love to partner with you in that. You can visit our website, fvumc.org, to find out more information on what that looks like or to reach out to us. I'd like to extend another invitation for you to come and join us online or in person on Sunday mornings live. Uh, And while you're on our website, uh, again, if this is a regular place that you find spiritual sustenance, we'd love to partner with you as we serve our community here in the greater Fuquay Varina area. Um, fvumc.org slash give would help you uh, join with us in all of the wonderful work that happens in and through this family of faith here at Fuquay Varina United Methodist Church. It's been great to worship together with you, and we look forward to doing it again soon.